Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. We are excited you've taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast. For more information about us, you may visit our website at biblicalquestion.com. We will tell you the web address again at the show's end. We encourage you to open your Bible and follow along as we study the Bible. Now here is your host, Joseph. Well, hello there, and I do appreciate that you have taken time out of your day to download this podcast and to listen to it. I certainly hope and pray that uh, Christ would be glorified, you as our listeners would be edified. Again, as the young lady uh, announced there that we do have a web page, Statement of Faith is there, a prayer request page is there, there's a free ebook that is available as well on the support uh, tab if you would click on that. We do know the lady personally who has wrote this book, and she's offering it for free through this podcast. And so, please, I would take advantage of that if I were you. Uh, today, we, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and please, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it there and follow along. We're going to talk about Lazarus and why Jesus uh, prays before raising Lazarus, and why does Jesus uh, ask about the location of the tomb? And this comes in through a question uh, through our web address at biblicalquestion.com. So we're going to do our best to answer this, and please follow along if you have a Bible. If you don't, you can always download one for free uh, off the Internet. Okay, so John chapter 11, we're going to be around uh, verse 13 or so, and we're we have Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha uh, all here at the tomb. The Jews at this time were taught that the soul uh, actually lingers about for three days. And so this is some of the reason that Jesus, I think, waited till the fourth day to go and visit uh, the, the tomb of Lazarus, trying to show that uh, the soul has, has left and that... Uh, this man is truly dead, and there is no chance uh, for him to uh, come up out of that grave uh, on his own. That he, He's been there, the body's decaying, uh, and the soul has left. So John chapter 11, I think Jesus is trying to prove that Lazarus, uh, his soul is in the land of the dead, I guess per se in that uh, Jesus has the authority to call him back from Hades. And their understanding, therefore, becomes a huge uh, miracle and demonstrates that Christ has the authority over Hades, the authority over the soul. And he's resurrecting also the body because he can do that. The heart, obviously, has not been beating for uh, three days. And the rest of the body is starting to, again, decay. And I'm trying to stress that, I believe, because that's why Jesus actually waits. So, move on down here. We're in verse 33 of uh, chapter 11. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. The shortest uh, version, uh, excuse me, shortest uh, verse in the English version of the Bible. John chapter 11, verse 35. So Jesus, you know, he groans in the spirit. 
Uh, he's troubled because as he looks at the current human condition of humanity, which he created, you know, uh, to live and enjoy in his presence, to to extend his love towards them, and, and they extended their own love towards each other, that life was meant to be very joyful, but now it's turned into weeping because there is death, there's pain, there's suffering. So here's Christ. He, he, he moans, he groans here as we look into uh, the Greek text part here. It implies really a holy anger at the enemy, Satan, the devil. And this anger uh, is focused through the problem of humanity in the sin. So Christ looks at this whole scenario that, you know, we as human beings are in. He feels compassion toward us. And he says, where have you laid him? And then they say to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So we find also a difference between how Christ wept and how Mary wept. Uh, it's very emotional uh, type setting in her approach in this story, right? Uh, when she's weeping, she's, she's wailing out loud. Uh, her brother is, is obviously dead and has been uh, for several days now. But when Jesus uh, was, when Jesus dealt with pain, he, he has compassion over others. Yet he, he, he keeps his composure, and because he was able to keep his composure, uh, he's, because he's God. He's God in the flesh. He is able to react properly, and you know in this case, in, in every other case and scenario, he's put into... Okay, so in, in verse 34, Christ asked the Jews again, where have you laid him? And the Jewish people told him, come and see right there. There's a parallel uh, between this coming to see and and in one in John chapter one verse forty six, when it says to Nathan, "Come, uh, Nathaniel, excuse me," said to him, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" And Philip said, "Come and see." So here's Philip, who was dragging uh, Nathaniel uh, to come and find the Messiah, and he tells him, "I I have found the one." who is in the beginning, who is the source of life. So the first comment in John chapter 1 about Nathaniel and Philip, you can see here in this source of life, the same writer, which obviously is John uh, the Apostle. He, he brings in to this into John chapter 11, right? When Christ, who uh, is the source of life, to come and see something else, See Lazarus in the tomb. His, Lazarus has been in this tomb. He's been laying here for three days, up almost four now. And he's going to go and meet uh, death itself. Lazarus uh, and his family are there. The Jewish people are there. As if, uh, as Jesus walks up uh, to this tomb, he's been asked, uh, to see the tomb, obviously, he goes and says, I am is coming up. This I am statement. This source of, of life that uh, 
only Christ can give. It's going to go there and meet death face-to-face type of idea here at the tomb. And we have this uh, confirmation between life and death, but in reality, it's really a uh, confrontation because life swallows up death when Christ dies on the cross for for all of us. And he he embraces the death out of, of love for us and kills it in its process because he is... Uh, the source of life. Jesus is life. Without Jesus, there is no life. And so there's this antidote to death, and Jesus is that antidote. So in John chapter 11, again, I think there's a parallel probably to the one in John chapter 1, verse 46, to explain to us, although uh, the human condition is currently in the state of death and pain and suffering and so forth, uh, this death has been met by the source of life. And that is, of course, Jesus uh, Christ. He is the resurrected. He conquered death, and therefore we ought to believe in all his promises. And we need to be willing uh, to follow in his footsteps if we also want to enjoy that eternal life. So again, verse 34, it says, uh, go back to that if you, uh, if you have your Bible open. It says, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And so, so again, why is, why is Jesus asking where the tomb is? I mean, if he's God, he probably already knows. Well, that, I mean, that was part of the statement from the listener. Yes, of course. Um, he, he would know, but there's always a reason that uh, we have here. Again, why is Christ asking? Does he really not know where Lazarus would be laying? And I think this is more to get the attention of, of people and for them to be expecting something. There's a miracle about to happen. There's also more to this again. Lazarus is here. Again, symbolizes the humanity of the entire world going back to Adam. When basically Adam and Eve died spiritually. And of course they would die physically as well. And so God came. He's walking into the garden and asked Adam, where are you hiding? And of course Adam would say, well, I'm hiding from you because... I, I'm naked. I, I don't have any, any clothing. And so we, we need the clothing that only Christ can provide for our spirit, uh, our soul, that would obviously be the blood that he sheds on the cross. And this, again, Adam, where are you? God asked him, where have you laid him? Okay. In Genesis chapter 3 and John chapter 11, the question is pretty much, where's the dead uh, person at? Where is the dead soul? I think there is a parallel between John chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 3, where Christ wants to, to say, enough death already. I have compassion on you. Uh, I am the source of life. And again, uh, Jesus has come to meet the dead. So, Read with me here as we continue in verse 
36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Of course, they're, they're talking about, you know, Jesus crying. Uh, Jesus wept. And it's not a secret. Uh, Lazarus and Jesus were close friends. Uh, Jesus had been around and stayed in his home, ate meals with him and his family and so on. So how could this man who opened the, the blind eyes uh, kept this man from dying? And I think this implication of this verse is that these people truly do not understand who Christ is. The implication is that he had come before Lazarus had died. He was only sick. He, he would have healed him. And he now has come a couple days earlier. That would have been okay. So now, if you wait the four days, the soul is in Hades. And he could probably uh, be resurrected, but now it's too late because it's past the three days. They don't understand who Jesus is. And Jesus, again, is, is groaning in himself. As he goes through the tomb, it's, there's a stone laid against it. I, would, I get this picture, you know, it's a cave, and they've got a large uh, stone, large rock of some kind in front of this. And so Jesus would say, take away the stone. And here, here's what starts people asking, scratching their heads, starting to wander what Christ is about to do to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, he's about to show his authority over death and that he is the source of life. Why is he not uh, taking the stone away himself? I mean, somebody might ask that question. And I think the answer is pretty simple. Christ created humanity with uh, an authority over his creation. And with that in mind, uh, with the will, a uh, choice to do what is good, what is right, and therefore Jesus asked them to do what they were capable of doing. So here he says, I understand uh, you cannot raise somebody from the dead, therefore I will take uh, that task on myself. But you can move away the stone. You can You can move it so that it has, uh, I think, a tremendous application even in our lives. We all have large stones in our life uh, that are between us and the resurrection, the Christ, the Messiah, the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sin, so on. Because uh, we work, if we work with God in this idea of synergy, you know, I had a car years ago that uh, was gasoline engine but it also had batteries in it and so on the side of the car it said synergy so we have two different power sources coming together to to make uh, this car go down the road and when we work with god we can do the same thing it's in our own personal lives in, in serving others we we ought to do it uh, because this is what god expects of us and our responsibility and whatever we cannot do, uh, God does for us. In, in both cases, we, uh, we cannot do uh, raise the dead. Only God can do that. So he prays there. Uh, I think he does this for uh, 
on our behalf to, to, to get this idea, this focus of the stone in front of us, I can't move it. It's just way too big. It's too large. Uh, other people might be able to help remove that stone. But I need God. I need him to help with this because this is just too big even for those maybe around me. Oh, they can help. They can encourage and pray. Uh, but only in the end, God can move this big uh, problem in front of us, and that is death. Through the Holy Spirit, we can get this idea of the indwellment that God wants to be in our lives. He wants to help us through the struggles of our life, the, the hard times, that those things that are painful for us uh, emotionally, spiritually, perhaps even financially, through our health issues. Those all could be very large stones in our life. And God can move those uh, for us. But others need to help. The church needs to be involved in helping uh, remove those large stones. But in the end, the, the whole problem may not be able to be resolved uh, by uh, our human beings, our congregation. We need God to help us remove the issues in our life. Perhaps another way would be to say, uh, to remove this entire burden. You know, Jesus talks about, uh, cast your burdens on him, you know, my yoke is easy, it is light. Uh, we, we all have burdens and struggles in our life. But a lot of this stuff, I mean, so many people, you know, you, you see them. I, I notice them in public. They're walking around. Their head is hung low, unless they got a cell phone in their hand. But perhaps they're just, they just have this heavy burden uh, and struggle. And they have put that yoke on themselves. Uh, and so many times in ways in my life, those yokes are there because either one, I allowed somebody to put it there or I put it there myself. So, but God can remove that entire load. It is not necessary. Uh, and this could be religious, spiritual matters that we have allowed other people to bind on us that may or may not be biblical. I'm going to go with not biblical. We allow people to to put legalism in, in, on our backs. Uh, we've got to go all these steps. Uh, you know, Jesus says, come as you are. No, you know, if I have to clean up my own backyard and make it professionally uh, clean, that will never happen because I'm human. The only, only thing that can clean and sanitize my life entirely is the blood of Christ. And I desperately need that, as so many other people do. And so back here, Martha and her sister, uh, they're, they're not really wanting this to, the stone to be taken away. But pick up with me here in verse 39. By now, Lord, there's a stench. She's been dead four days. You know, how? what about in our lives, uh, that stench, that sin, that death, just it just lingers. And, 
we don't want to smell that. We don't want to deal with that in our lives. So we leave that stone there. And the only way we're going to get to the problem is to expose the problem and remove that stone uh, with the help of others. Obviously, God can help us, uh, our local congregation. We remove that stone to get to the sin problem. And so, again, this idea, uh, they really don't want to smell all of this. But notice Jesus' response here. Did I not say that if you believed, you would see? Uh-oh. If you believed, you would see the glory of God. Do we want to see the glory of God in our lives? You know, sometimes I think, I see so many Christians, they, it's just a lot of talk. You know, they, they don't uh, believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well. Uh, they struggle with the idea of God the Father, God the Son, and, of course, God the Holy Spirit is really one God. And the Trinity, as you've heard me talk about so many times in the podcast, is a really deep subject. But here is Jesus saying, look, would I not tell you that you would believe you would see the glory of God? And then verse 40 uh, what is that glory? It's right there in front of them. And he's reminding her and those around her. Her confession is that he's the Messiah. Uh, he is the Son of God. And she continues uh, to go down this path, which and here in verse 27, Jesus tells her, in other words, uh, you will need to endure that stench if you want to see the glory of God. You're, you're you put the sin in your life, you allowed it to come in, and you put the sin back here off to the side, you're trying to do away with it, you don't want it in your life, and so you put it in this cave, you put it in some far corner of your mind or your heart, and you put a stone in front of it so that you don't have to deal with the fallout of that sin, that stench. And so do we want to see the glory of God in our lives. So Jesus, believe in me. I am the source of your life. Come and enjoy that glory. Verse 41. Uh, and then he, they take the stone away from the place. And Jesus would lift up his eyes. And, and begin to pray and say, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Again, he is referencing here a, a prior prayer that is not necessarily written in this text. I've, I've often wondered that. And so, uh, I, I know that you've always hear me, I, but because of the people who are standing around here, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me for one purpose, and that purpose is, is this prayer for the people to understand that the Son is sent by the Father and is has a common message, that is the gospel, uh, one message, one God. So John here says, in other words, uh, to the Pharisees, keep on saying that he, he works miracles by the power of the devil. And obviously here is not the power of the devil. He just prayed to the Father. Now, when he cries out into a loud voice, okay, hope you're still following me here in the Bible. 
Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Okay, so uh, he who has died comes out bound hand and foot with the grave clothes and his face is still wrapped with his cloth. And Jesus says to them, uh, loosen him, let him go. So we notice in a, a couple things here. First is that Lazarus' grave clothes was the same as Christ uh, when he's buried. But more importantly, uh, if you notice in Christ's prayer to, to the Father, he never asked the Father to raise Lazarus. That is not what the prayer was about. And the objective here is, is the master of Jesus himself. He is uh, the Son of God. Uh, he is the source and has the authority in himself uh, to raise the dead. And notice here, this is really uh, a command from the Creator himself, come forth. Okay? And so, again, Jesus gives us command. And what happens? Jesus has that authority, obviously. He is one of the Trinity. He's, I am the source of life. In verse 45, that many of the Jews who had come to Mary had seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him uh, very naturally. Uh, some of them uh, went away, and the Pharisees and go on to tell the things that Jesus would do, and many people were unhappy about this uh, miracle because it was beyond their imagination. And unfortunately, in, in many cases, uh, Christ's action or actions lead to division. It is not uh, Christ's purpose. He does not want to divide. It is quite uh, the opposite. But Jesus knows uh, that there's going to be division around the belief of him. And you can see this uh, and even in our world today. Families are divided uh, over who Christ is, uh, how to worship him. You see this uh, really in, in certain religions where people lose their life when they give up the family tradition of, of Muslim belief. Uh, the, the parents uh, will have nothing to do with that child, vice versa. And so... I see this even in Mormonism uh, here in the United States. I know a person uh, personally. They uh, want to leave Mormonism, but they are so afraid that their family, they won't be able to see their grandchildren and so on any longer. They will be forbidden because they have uh, rejected really what is really a lie for the truth. And this is just a way for this particular religion to have a hold on people. But, uh, but God doesn't really want this division. He wants people to assemble and unite in his name, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and Christ is that truth. And other people have a, many a, agendas. They, they want their ego stroke. They, they want to have uh, all the money in the world. They want all these personal belongings. They want fame. They want fortune. They have all their own personal desires. 
And some of those, if not all of those, have nothing to do uh, with God. Notice here the chief priest and the Pharisees, they kind of gather together in this council and say, what shall we do? Uh, I'm guessing this is not really the complete assembly of the Sanhedrin. I think this is a select group of people, uh, kind of like the birds of the same flock, gathering together type thing. Uh, because they don't have the authority by themselves in that council on their own. But they notice here they say this man's works and many signs um, are actually uh, taking place. What shall we do? Verse 47. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? Okay, For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Okay, so they are more worried about their personal preservation, and you can see that even in Christianity today. Uh, they're recognizing the signs, right? Uh, they're, they're not looking for um, the Messiah as Jesus is presenting. They are looking for a Messiah that will liberate them, free them from Rome. Uh, they will be the superpower, the economic power of the world. And that's what they're really thinking. And they kind of get this idea of the days of David and Solomon, you know, the glory years uh, of their history, uh, that they had those things. They, they are looking for a Messiah that's going to help conquer the world, be king of the world. And this most miracles, uh, they're not looking for, uh, obviously, what Christ is, who he is, his mission, the gospel message. Uh, they're more worried about politicians. This is really what they are. They're more worried about controlling the people, having the money and the resources from the people, being able to collect taxes and, and so on. And they know Rome has the military might and authority, I guess, to say uh, the least, to re do away with whatever it is that they have been granted by the Roman government. And so this idea and this problem is, if we leave him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. That would be Jesus. Uh, they don't want that. Again, they are more interested about their place. Maybe the nation is kind of an afterthought, right? But they do talk about the nation. So again, uh, that ego idea of earthly passions and desires that continually lead people astray. But when the truth is present in front of them, uh, and we too had this problem, and I think uh, wholeheartedly is seeking God out and, and death in prayer, and that he will continually reveal himself to us. And that God has been revealed. So many people, I mean, I mean, Google it. Uh, and I don't like Google. But, uh, go on the Internet and, and do a, an Internet search of modern-day Messiah. And you're going to find out. There's people alive right now who claim to be uh, Jesus 
re reincarnated. They, they teach that they are the Messiah. Uh, and these guys, uh, I'm not going to give them names, but I think they're kind of a little bit off the rocker. I think they are wolves in sheep's clothing. But notice here in uh, verse 49, And one of them, Caiaphas, high priest that year, said to them, uh, You know nothing at all, nor, verse 50, do you consider that this is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Okay, so this guy, he's a high priest that year. Uh, you know, if you know uh, the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood system, you're high priest for life, and this is something that Rome has done. They have come in, who is going to be their political puppet? And that's what these guys are talking about. They, they've been blessed, I guess, honored by Rome to be uh, in control or have power over the nation of the people of Israel. And they kind of like that. It, it's working out well for them. Fame and fortune type of idea. And so uh, I don't know that uh, if you study this out, that he's really... Um, saying it'd be better to kill Jesus than the entire Jewish nation. Now, I don't know that he says this by his own authority, but being high priest that year, he's really prophesying. He's talking about something that he has no knowledge about. And that's really what prophecy or prophets uh, do. They, they talk about anything past, present, or future. Everybody thinks it's about future and for the most part, prophecy is about future. But there's still something about the past. And so I've talked about that in other podcasts. I don't know if I want to go into it here. But, but really what he does is he, he's prophesying that Jesus would die for the nation. And not necessarily just for that nation, but he would prop, uh, die for the, the sins of the world type idea. And John... Uh, emphasizes here that the idea it's not only that the Jews would be saved but the Gentiles as well that we're all going to be gathered as, as children of God and then verse 51 here again I, I just read it he does not say this by his own authority but being high priest that year verse 50 I think is important for us as well uh, the whole idea that one man should die John is saying that Caiaphas is unknowingly, perhaps even unwillingly prophesying that Christ will die. And because he dies for the people and for the nation, for the body of Christ, therefore we do not need to die anymore as a nation. We do not need to, to die as a nation. We don't need to take on Rome, their army, their military, uh, far superior in manpower, resources, technology type idea. So why do we want the whole nation to die? We all want to be living. And because this message here, I think, is that he is saying, regarding the prophecy of the high priest, uh, I think uh, Augustine uh, would say similar things in his writings about the powers of the high priest and his authority. 
even though he is unworthy of the office of high priest, he still is prophesying. Again, he's appointed by Rome to be high priest that year. And that means that was a yearly appointment that Rome would go on with. Think about this corrupt heart of, of, of people, human beings, and yet here he is uh, prophesying. I, I think this is really the grace of God really being revealed here. Verse 53 says, Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. They're looking for a way. So the Pharisees are considering uh, many different things and how to put Christ to death, but it's from this point on they're really serious about planning how to get rid of Jesus. They want to execute him. They don't care how it's done. They just don't want Jesus to be able to walk around the countryside in the wilderness, in town, um, and all of those who are following him. Uh, they need to probably be done away with first. But first things first is to get rid of Jesus. And I say that as you think about this. The very next chapter, John chapter 12, they begin to even the plot to kill Lazarus. Poor Lazarus, he's already been dead four days. Jesus calls him back from the grave. And now these people want to kill him. Why do they want to kill him? Because his very life is a testimony that Jesus has the authority over life and death. Even the gates of hell cannot prevail against Jesus. Of course, gates uh, for any nation is a defensive mode. It's not an offensive mode. But that he, Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is God in the flesh. And so we need to, to be thinking about this. How many of us have this sin in our life, we stuck it way far away in the very corners of our mind or in our life, whatever. We put a stone in front of it because we really know we don't want that sin in our life. But we don't deal with it. We don't know how to deal with it. And really, we need help to deal with it. How many of us call on the congregation where we worship to help us deal with the sin in our life? And do we want that stone rolled away? Uh, to expose that sin and that's been in there, it's dying, it's, it's decaying, it, it stinks. Do we really want to see the glory of God? And so as, as we studied this uh, out, I, I see this in my life. I'm sure you, if you're really honest with yourself, you see it in your life. You know, this is the day uh, of Passover. It's going to be, be fulfilled by the prophecies uh, of the Old Testament, of the Jews. Uh, many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And these purification uh, rituals could take several days. Okay, and so here we are in John chapter 11 and 4, really is the, the, till the end of the gospel according to John. Only takes place three or four days. It's really what we would call a lot of places the, the passion of the Christ. It's his last week on earth. And John will use all of this 
probably over half of his gospel or close to it about the last couple of days of the life of Jesus. And this is where uh, this really begins is the raising of Lazarus. And so uh, this idea of Jesus raising this man up out of the grave, he is passing over death. Jesus is going to give us that spiritual opportunity to pass over the death. Are we willing to do that? I mean, again, study this out from a, a perspective that maybe perhaps many of us don't think about. Mary confesses, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says, look, you're going to see the glory of God. Do they see the glory of God? Yes. Lazarus comes up out of that grave. Uh, I don't know that he walks out, because if you read the text really close, uh, Jesus says, unbind him, loosen him, depending on your version. He's in the tomb, but when he's come back, he comes up out of that grave, that death, out of Hades. He is untied, he is unbound, and he physically walks out of that grave with the help of of others unbinding him. Are we willing to do this for ourselves? Are we willing to do this for others? Help people out of their sin problem. So many times I, I have been around uh, church folks who uh, they love to complain. They love to go to church as a uh, country club idea. But they don't really want to go there to worship God. They don't want to go there to celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of, of Christ. That gospel message of good news. Jesus suffered in our place. He went on trial in our place. He was condemned in our place. He died in our place. But he conquers death. So that in our, our walk of eternity will be determined, do we believe in the death and burial resurrection? Are we willing to allow that stench of sin to be exposed, cleansed by the blood of Christ, so that we can walk out of that grave of death and torment for eternity? I thank you for listening. I, I, I know this is a, a little different format than I've done in the past. I'm just kind of experimenting with a couple of things. And these were questions that did come in through uh, our email, through our webpage. And so I certainly try very hard to answer those questions, either through the uh, podcast itself or answer you back in, in email. Again, please check out our prayer list. Uh, Check out that free ebook. I'm not sure how long the, the lady uh, will allow us to have that, but I'm very thankful that she has. And I know several listeners who have actually signed up for this uh, free ebook. So please consider doing that. Keep this ministry in your prayers as we uh, continue to move forward each and every day to try to bring a biblical, sound, uh, truthful, podcast that Christ is not an afterthought at the end of 
uh, our podcast, but he is the entire podcast. He is the reason uh, that we are doing this so that you and I uh, can study the Word of God and a little deeper than we have. Reading the Bible, not as yesterday's sports page, but the answer to life of eternal life, to how to overcome sin and death, how to find a congregation that is completely teaching the entire truth of the Word of God, not just their favorite verse, not just their favorite subject, not just repeating something that their denomination teaches and believes in, but the truth of God's Word. Again, I want to thank you for listening. I certainly hope and pray that you'll tune in next week. Tell others about us and how you found us and encourage them to, to listen in as well. Again, may God bless you and may He always have the glory. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to hit the like button and follow us on your podcasting app. Please check out our website at biblicalquestion.com. All one word, all lowercase. In addition, we have a prayer request page, a way of contacting us, a statement of faith, and other resources for our listeners. Do you have a Bible question you would like answered on a future podcast or prayer request? We would be honored to hear from you and add your prayer request to our list so others may pray for you. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on our social media accounts. Again, that is biblicalquestion.com. Thank you and may He have the glory.